and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In. Usually we're your podcast on the IMDb 250, but this week we're going to take you back to 2015 and recount some of our favorite movies. Kayla and I are each going to tackle three of our favorites in alternating order, and then we're going to hand it over to a number of our guests from this past six months of podcasts. And... Has it really been six months of the podcast? It has been six months. Oh my goodness. We started in August. That is super fun. It's been a wild ride, let me tell you. (laughs) Kayla, let's start off with you. What was one of your favorite movies of 2015? All right. The first movie that I'm going to talk about is a super fun little horror movie called It Follows. Uh, You probably knew that one of us was going to talk about this on the podcast because we've mentioned it probably more than almost any other movie that we've seen this year. I think it gets brought up nearly on a weekly basis, and I think that's a testament to how effective of a movie it is. It is about a bunch of teenagers, one of whom has accidentally been past a sexually transmitted demon ghost thing that uh, very simply follows you until it kills you. It walks very slowly. It's very creepy. It can look like anybody or anything. And yeah, this year was kind of strange for me because normally I like to insist that I don't really like horror movies unless it's a really good one. But as this year has gone on, as we've gotten more and more interesting and better written, I would say, horror movies, I've kind of had to admit to myself that I do like them even while they're in the midst of ruining my life. For instance, with It Follows, um, I'm still having like a bi-monthly nightmare about it every once in a while because the concept is so simple that it just really gets under your skin. Like, I've had nightmares about it looking like Tyler. I've had it look like my dad. I... I don't know, probably look like my cats, but not really. Um, Anyway, so a thing that I I really like about this movie, besides the fact that it is terrifying and will stay with you forever, is the score, which was done by video game composer Disasterpiece. It is tremendously affecting and kind of has like a John Carpenter type feel. Um, The lead actress, Micah Monroe, who was also in one of our favorite movies of last year, The Guest, is... Scream Queen extraordinaire again. Yeah, I really don't have enough good things to say about this movie aside from the fact that, again, it's just... I won't... Okay, I won't say flawless, but (laughs) up until the end is nearly flawless. It expounds upon the importance of teenage friendship and I guess you could say on the importance of safe sex. (laughs) (laughs) Tyler, what was one of your movies that you liked? (laughs) I'm going to transition into Ex Machina. 2015 was a year of tremendously powerful, self-assured, and unrelenting atmospheres in movies for me. And it both It Follows and Ex Machina were examples of that. Um, Alex Garland's directorial debut after working with Danny Boyle on several films was everything I hoped Transcendence would be. It is a beautiful, very slick and futuristic movie with some tremendous acting from just a handful of people. But one of those is newly minted American sweetheart Oscar Isaac. And the other is Alicia Vikander, who is in so very many movies this year, as was Donald Gleason. But the first two I were the most remarkable at Alicia Vikander as the... Uh, as the AI Ava 
is really you can't really tell that it's the woman from the Danish girl or any of those other movies. She is incredible at embodying this new artificial intelligence. And Oscar Isaac shows once again that he is one of our finest thespians. And I mean that in the truest sense of the word. He can embody so very many different things effortlessly. Whether it be the handsome fighter pilot of Star Wars, the 70s, 80s politician of Show Me a Hero, or the socially kind of inept programmer of Ex Machina. He's truly incredible, and this movie is so smart and thoughtful and has so very many ideas. And I really think the score for this by Jeff Barrow should also be getting some more love. It is really beautiful, and Crescendo is in all the right places. And it's much more subtle than something like the Disaster Piece soundtrack, but is no less effective for it. Yeah, Ex Machina, it's truly incredible. I'm glad the Golden Gobes are silly, but I'm glad it at least gave us another chance to talk about that movie because of Alicia Vikander's nomination. Kayla, what is your next movie? My next movie is the also much-lauded Carol, directed by Todd Haynes, starring Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. If you haven't heard much about this movie yet, which I don't really know how you could unless you were living under a rock, it is based on the novel The Price of Salt by Patricia Highsmith, and it is about lesbians in the 1950s, and it is stunning. From the camera work to the music to the performances from Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara, I can't think of a better movie to show to someone when trying to sum up queer cinema. It is really rare that there is a movie about gay people that doesn't end in some sort of tragedy or heartbreak or, I don't know, somebody just going crazy and turning evil. And that's in part due to the novel that the movie is based on. It is considered one of the few novels in history about queer people to not have a sad ending. And the movie does such a great job of translating the longing and just intense need for each other that the two characters have. And I would say that it's half the screenplay and half like tour de force performances from Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. Just every single second that they're on screen together is just wrought with this emotion, this desire to be together. It's just absolutely amazing. Uh, again, another movie that I don't have enough good things to say about. Uh, one of my friends tweeted when it came out that the only flaw with it was that it ended. And that's pretty much how I feel about it, too. Todd Haynes did a fantastic job. And I have to say, I was really kind of worried when I found out that a man was going to be directing this movie <laughs> because it is such like a very feminine tale. But the screenwriter was a woman who was really close friends with the author while she was alive, and by all accounts, this adaptation is something that she would have been very proud of. So, yeah. <laughs> Before we get into my next pick, I do want to just remark on, speaking of the incredible atmospheres of 2015, 
my favorite thing to say about Carol is that the restraint of Carol is on par with the adrenaline rush and thrill of Mad Max or the dread of It Follows. It's just tremendous. My next pick is Phoenix. Phoenix is the latest collaboration by director Christian Petzold and actress Nina Haas. It is a German film that has... It's one of those indies that has gotten a lot of love in the circles that have seen it, but does not quite have the reach to get maybe the awards love that I do feel it deserves. Um, It is on Netflix, so I do hope that it's gotten a lot more eyes that way. But it, much like Son of Saul, it is a World War II movie that has a much more intimate perspective, much a a much more low-scale perspective on a person in this world without getting into the exploits, the potentially exploitative or just played-out nature of so many World War II movies. It stars Nina Haas as this woman who was in a concentration camp and had to have her face restructured and goes back to her husband trying to find out if he's the one who sold her out or not. And Nina Haas is truly transcendent in this movie as our lead character. She embodies so very many emotions and undergoes such a transformation in this from this victim to this, from this, from a destroyed victim who you just wonder how she's going to recover from this to a strong woman who you have no doubt will be just fine in what she's doing. And I just was stunned by this whole thing. And it's all capped off with one of the greatest final scenes I have ever seen. The last moments of this movie are just so good that you love the that it ended the way it does but you also want to know what happens next and i feel like accomplishing that feat is so very difficult but is one of the most satisfying things when you actually manage it kayla your final movie to talk about for 2015 my final movie of the year will take us back to creepy town um and that is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which is a vampire movie that technically ran the film circuit in 2000, or the, I'm sorry, a vampire movie that technically ran the festival circuit in 2014, but received a wide release in 2015. So if anybody wants to comment on that, suck it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the movie is shot all in black and white and is done entirely in Farsi and is considered probably one of the first motion pictures to be done. It's it's set in Iran. It was filmed in California. But it's another movie that has a really great atmosphere and not really in the same way that other horror movies have had this year. It has more of a human touch to it, which is funny considering one of the main characters is, in fact, a vampire. But it just... It has a lot of heart to it as you watch the girl interact with this man that she's encountered, Arash, who she ends up falling in love with, which sounds kind of cliche, but it isn't. (laughs) And it's just really interesting to watch her kind of try and navigate 
having feelings or dealing with people and not just killing them. It has a great soundtrack composed of like various artists. Uh, there is a cat, which if you know anything about me is pretty important to me. <laughs> that plays a really interesting role throughout the whole thing. It also has its fair share of family drama, uh, dealing with drug use, dealing with poverty. And yeah, it's just one of those movies that kind of came out of nowhere for me. I put off watching it for a really long time just because it seemed like something you need to be in a mood for. And I was delightfully surprised to find out that it's just a fun ride all around and not a super heavy handed foreign film. Tyler, your last movie. And we're going to end in with the creepiest movie, I think, that I saw this year, and that's Goodnight, Mommy. It is another German film, actually. It involves a mother who had some kind of surgery on her face where she spends much of the movie with bandages over her face, and she's acting very odd. And she has these two twin boys who are kind of suspicious of this person who's supposed to be their mother but her face is covered up and she's acting much differently from there it just continues down this rabbit hole of of suspense dread maybe not on the level of it follows but certainly terrifying and this movie is such a ride that there's a twist at the end that maybe I should have seen it coming, but I was so in on this movie that I wasn't even thinking that far ahead. I wasn't trying to catch it in what it was doing, and I thought it worked quite well in making in, and I thought it worked quite well in really just finishing this really weird, creepy movie in such an excellent way, and I just really appreciated how upsetting it was honestly the corruption of that that mother-son relationship is kind of the most terrifying thing about it and the fact that you don't know for most of the movie whether who's in the wrong or what's real and what's not i think is kind of gets to why this movie is so upsetting and why it's so effective but those are six of our favorite movies of 2015. There were a number of other movies we wanted to include, but there were just too many great ones last year. Stay tuned for a couple of our guests, each talking about one of their favorite movies of the year. You'll hear a little bit from me, but it's mostly just them talking about why the movie they've chosen matters. Um, they do include mild spoilers, mild sometimes very serious spoilers so do be warned of that but um, thank you for listening we really have appreciated your listenership through the past six months continue to find us on our various social media get in touch with us and find a couple of my end of the year lists on letterbox we'll have all of that information in the show notes and happy listening
All right. Now joining us is Kyle Minton, frequent guest of the podcast. Kyle, tell me about the movie you have chosen to talk about from 2015. Yeah, when you asked me what was the movie that I most uh, most loved in 2015, I had to think about it because obviously I, I like my knee. Um, the knee jerk reaction was to say, "Oh yeah, I had a great time watching Mad Max" or whatever. And then I kept thinking about uh, a French film called Girlhood that I saw earlier this year, and it was it's the last shot of Girlhood. It's of the actress uh, Carija Tori. It's a first time acting ever. And there's just a great uh, long shot where she's sort of crying to herself. Uh, it's at the very end of the film. Spoilers. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But it's she's fine. coming to terms with her independence. Um, and the camera kind of cuts away from her face as she's crying. And then in a close up, she just she walks right into it. And you can see that she's confident. And it's an, an amazing transformation. For some reason, that shot stuck with me over the the entire course of the year and I couldn't really figure out why and I gave it a second viewing uh when you asked me I was like well I think it's girlhood and I don't really know I can't really say why yet I watched it again and it's just a very unique film for me and I think for a lot of reasons I think first and foremost uh it is filled with a great amount of hope I think you could easily take uh, a young coming of age story of a um, French black girl you could make that gritty. You could make that, uh, I think, in, in one article I, w- I was reading, an interview I was reading with director Celine uh, Siama, uh, they said, you know, there could be a risk of making it into poverty porn. Um, was a term that they used. There are a lot of ways that this could go wrong. Girlhood is an expertly shot film, uh, steady hand, beautiful, beautiful colors in this film. Like, there are a lot of, like, really excellently lit sh- uh, shots. Uh, particularly, there's a, a kitchen shot where um, Creatory, uh, who has never acted, I, I said has never acted before, is actually discovered in an amusement park by the director. Wow. That's how new she was to acting. She, she's interacting with her little sister, and there's like a light blue glow across the kitchen. It's just all that's beautiful, no matter how uh, elementary or basic the scene may be. It's just gorgeous to look at. And, you you know, it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be such a luxurious pr- production. But it is, and it's filled with just a wonderful amount of hope for a young girl who finds herself um, completely alone at first, then finds a sorority of women who are young girls who help support her and give her an identity that she can then cling to and use for strength. And then it transitions from that, which, you know, she engages in a lot of, you know, juvenile fun to a much more serious part of her life and she becomes a really kind of a startling transition to adulthood uh, in a way that you don't expect throughout it and she's an incredible actress uh creatory like i'm just startled that this was her first performance because she plays it so well and obviously i think there's a part of uh of truth to a lot of what uh celine siyama wrote Celine Siyama did Water Lilies, which uh, I have not seen. It's another coming-of-age story. And then another coming-of-age story, which she kind of jokingly refers to as her trilogy uh, called Tomboy, <clears throat> which was about a uh, young transgender boy, uh, released in 2011, which I, I did really like. And Girlhood, I think, is a, the better of the two, I think. Um, it's got this wonderful soundtrack that kind of uh, alternates... Uh, between like like light guitar riffs up to like really really cheery synths that 
you could run to this soundtrack and it's it's an excellent uh it's excellent combination of pieces i think my favorite part if i had to choose one other than the in shot is that there's an entire basically music video to rihanna's diamonds uh in a hotel with um the main character uh whose name is miriam and a bunch of her friends where they're all dancing to rihanna's diamonds it's this kind of like you know playful tribute to uh to young womanhood you know and it's it's awesome it's such a great thing uh yeah it's my favorite film of 2015 that sounds wonderful and i i've been meaning to watch it for the longest time and i just never quite got to it and now it's probably something i'm gonna watch within the next week just knowing that you loved it so much i yeah and i hats off to uh crystal fournier who worked on tomboy of celine siama uh crystal was a wonderful cinematographer for this like i really can't say enough how excellent this uh this movie is shot like it's just a beauty to watch um and I think what I love most about it is that Celine Tiama is very, very upfront about the fact that she made this film because she felt like there was a lack of uh, young black female representation in French movies. Just that's why she made it. She wanted she wanted young black female faces in movies, and that's a great example of um, I think what uh, some people might refer to as forced diversity. Uh, if, if you know you've seen some of that uh, bullshit come up with the Hermione casting. Yeah. Uh, for that new play and this is such a great example of why that's not a thing why that's not it's not nearly as true this is a great piece of art uh, and i think everyone should see it wonderful thanks so much for sharing that with us kyle and we will continue talking to you more in the new year talking to Gabe Akins, a frequent guest of ours who's been on three episodes now, talked about a few good movies, a little bit of Tarantino, but today, Gabe, I want you to tell me about one of your favorite movies of 2015. Well, one of my favorite movies of 2015 was uh, the newest entry in the greatest movie franchise of our time, Furious 7. And... What I liked about Furious 7, just, I've been a big fan of all the Fast and Furious movies, and what I enjoy about them is, while I think it's important that movies tackle big issues and have social commentary and stuff, Fast and Furious movies are just fun movies. You know, like, sometimes you just want to go to the movies and, like, not have to think and watch cars fly between skyscrapers. And Furious Seven is that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, but that's that sounds like a Transformers movie. Cars flying between skyscrapers. <laughs> well, it's better than a Transformers movie because Michael Bay has nothing to do with it. <laughs> you know, I find that does help the movie-going experience. But yeah, I mean, it's just a fun movie that's really well paced with action and, I mean, I guess air quotes on plot. I mean, there is a plot, but family 
Just the plot is Vin Diesel muttering family over and over. While we were reminded that Paul Walker is no longer with us. Which, I yes, it, it's, it's pretty hard for a movie to make me cry. And I'm not at all ashamed to admit that the uh, tribute to Paul Walker that happens at the end of the movie... What actually made me cry when I went to go see the movie? It's is this going to be a is this a a Creed moment where you're like, you know what, you know how I know this movie's good? I cried, and I'm a man. (laughs) No, it's not one of those. I'm I'm just saying that they handled it very well. I mean, any time that an actor dies midway through filming a movie, obviously that is challenging not only from an emotional standpoint but also from you know, a technical movie-making standpoint. And I thought they handled it really well. They wrote his character out in a way that gave him a satisfying end to his uh, character arc. Like I said, at the end, it's basically just a montage of all of him throughout the Fast and Furious movies. And I cried. (laughs) There were a lot of feelings. It sounds like a lot of people felt a lot of feelings because this movie made... It didn't make all the money because Jurassic World and Star Wars also made some money, I hear, but, but it made a good chunk of it. It made money. most of the money. Yeah, and I think. I mean, I don't know anything about cars at all, but I feel like that almost helped me enjoy it more because I wasn't like, hey, cars can't do that. I'm like, hey, these cars are parachuting out of an airplane down onto a mountain. That's fucking cool. <laughs> I, w- I wish I could parachute cars out of an airplane. Maybe one day I will be so lucky as to parachute a car out of an airplane. Onto a mountain. <laughs> Let's ask the important question. How is The Rock? The Rock? How the muscly rock. is he? Is he nice and cocoa buttered up? Are his arms as muscly as they should be? The Rock is actually not in this movie a ton. And you say this is a good movie. <laughs> it, okay, well, here's the thing. So... He's t- he's at the very beginning, and Jason Statham, who plays Ian Shaw, the bad guy, the older brother of the bad guy from the last Fast and Furious movie, towards the beginning, like he ambushes The Rock, and they have like this badass fight. Which I, another part of this movie that I love is the cinematography is great, especially during the fight sequences. Like there's a lot of stuff where. Uh, they're fighting and one of them will go toppling over a table and the camera will like turn sideways to follow them and it's really neat looking. But anyway, so The Rock is in the hospital for a lot of this movie. But it's made up for the fact that at the end during the climax, like The Rock sees like all this stuff happening and he needs to go help his friends. So he just flexes really hard and breaks out of all of his casts. And then goes and gets a Gatling gun and shoots a drone out of the sky. Sounds like your average day for a Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, I'm not even sure that that uh, was scripted. I think they just followed him around and that's what happened. I will say it makes sense retroactively that James Wan was a good choice for this in terms of the, the how you're talking about the filmmaking. Just because The Conjuring is a horror movie with a tremendously active camera. It was almost disorienting the first time I saw it, and it took me a while to kind of sink into it. But it sounds like that has been translated to Furious 7 a bit, where he's doing interesting things with the camera. He's getting ambitious with it. It's almost never standing still. It's always capturing this crazy nonsense. Right, and I think it really works since, I mean, obviously Fast and Furious, it's 
a lot about the cars. And it kind of makes sense that that sort of like kinetic energy and filmmaking is also in the human fight sequences. You call them human fight sequences, but I think that could be, I don't know, like kind of like video game cutscenes. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I mean, at this, like the Fast and Furious movies went from like the first couple were just like underground, like heist movies that also had cars. I mean, now I'm not the first person to describe them as this, but they're basically superhero movies where the superpowers are cars. But thanks so much for bringing that to us, Gabe. Do you have any final points on Fury 7? Making a, perhaps uh, making a final plea for an agnostic like me to actually appreciate this movie for the artistic achievement that it is. Uh, I think it's just a ton of fun. Uh, you don't need a whole ton of background knowledge on the other movies to go into it and have a good time. It, it stands alone very well. Uh, it has uh, that emotional connection with this being Paul Walker's last movie. It's just shot beautifully. It has some great action sequences. And it has The Rock all oiled up and being The Rock. As he is wont to do. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much, Gabe. We look forward to talking to you more in 2016 about movies and such. Thanks for having me. Damn. All the planes we flew, good things we've been through. Then I'll be standing right here talking to you about another path. I know we love to hit the road and laugh, but something told me that it wouldn't last. Had to switch up, look at things different, see the bigger picture. Those were the days, hard work forever pays. Now I see you in a better place. Talk about family when family's all that we got Everything I would do, you were standing there by my side And now you gonna be with me for the last ride so, Patrick, uh, your favorite movie, or one of your favorite movies this year, was Creed, which has done pretty well. A lot of other people seem to like it, too. Yeah. What is it about Creed that makes it feel special to you? So, I want to, like, say off the bat that um, I'm not, like, a huge like rocky fan well not i shouldn't say that i just haven't seen like all of the rocky movies i've mm. only seen rocky one and then creed um but so this took this movie creed took a 40-year franchise and made me want to watch like every single movie of that franchise <laughs> i just liked it that much um i guess for a little bit of the background on the movie um i feel like most people know about it now but ryan coogler who directed it and wrote co-wrote it um had pitched it like two years ago i guess to sylvester stallone and sylvester stallone was like i don't really agree with the subject material i don't really want to do this movie now rocky's kind of done for me um after rocky balboa in 2006 and then in the interim um ryan coogler and michael b jordan who stars in creed uh made fruitvale station which uh was a Sundance movie and then got a wide release after that. It won the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award at Sundance and stuff. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty big movie. I think it, it went on to make like sixteen or seventeen million or something on like a maybe million dollar budget. So it was pretty successful. And after that, um, Ryan Coogler started to get a lot of offers, but he kept going back to Sylvester Stallone because I guess what inspired him to write this was his own dad getting sick. And um, in the movie, not to give too many spoilers away, but Sylvester Stallone, like his fight in the movie is 
that Rocky gets sick. Um, and I guess after the success from Fruitvale Station and that even though he could have done any other movie really at that point, he really wanted to do this movie. It was enough to convince uh, Sylvester Stallone to make another Rocky movie. And it's just, it's got like a dramatic and kind of heart to it, kind of dramatic pull that I didn't expect at all going into it. And I think that's part of why I liked it so much is because I didn't really have any expectations. I thought it would be kind of like a just a fight movie pretty much. And it was very similar to uh, a movie from a couple of years ago called Warrior. For me, other other than that's a MMA movie and this is boxing. But uh, it just they both have a very like dramatic pull to it that really hits you. And uh, yeah, I mean, Sylvester Stallone is getting a lot of praise for his role. I think he got nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. Um, Michael B. Jordan is fantastic in it. Um, he really... There's a scene in the end... Um, in the fight where he could have Rocky was about to call off the fight and I forget the exact line which is kind of a shame because it's like the big one of the movie but it's so uh Adonis Creed is Apollo Creed's um I guess for lack of a better term like mistake child he it was with a woman other than the woman he was married to all his life and stuff and he was raised kind of in the system and he never got to meet Apollo Creed because he died before um, Adonis was born. And so the line in the movie is that I want to go back out there so I can prove that I'm not a mistake because the whole movie is kind of hyping up that he didn't really deserve to have this big fight in the end against, um, I forget the name of the, uh, uh, yeah, I forget, pretty Ricky Conlon, that's what it is, yeah, mm-hmm. who is like a uh, undefeated champion but that is about to lose his title because he is going to serve jail time. And that Adonis didn't really deserve to be in the ring with him from winning these smaller fights and kind of having like a big record, but it was from these like backroom fights in Mexico. (laughs) And so uh, he kind of makes it to the last round in this fight against the light heavyweight champion. And instead of giving up, he wants to go out and do the full fight. And then, uh, I don't want to spoil the the end of the fight, but it turns out really good. And um, yeah, it's just a great movie. I liked the characters a lot. I think that's the biggest thing for me. Um, Tessa Thompson, who plays, I guess, the love interest for Adonis, is great in the movie as well. Um, The two leads are fantastic. And then uh, Felicia Rashad, who plays Apollo Creed's widow, um, is really great as well. And the music in this is, it's dope. Um, They have managed to resurrect... Meek Mill from the grave that Drake buried him in. That Wait, was can you can you restart on the music? You dropped out a bit when you said the music. <laughs> <laughs> so restart from the music is dope. <laughs> Meek Mill, he's the second coming. He got resurrected. It's <laughs> um, and then uh, there's a, also a great song from Future, and it's the way that there's a scene when uh, Adonis is running through the streets of Philly. And there's, like, these uh, four-wheelers, like, kind <laughs> of driving alongside him and, like, getting him all hyped and everything. And I think it's the Meek Mill song is playing. And the way that Kugler shoots it to where it's kind of like a 360, kind of, like, revolving around uh, Michael B. Jordan's shot is great. Um, definitely gets you hyped up and kind of, like, in that mindset. And, yeah, it's just a great movie. I liked it a lot. And it kind of came out of nowhere for me. Awesome. And yeah, so 
I mean, it seems like uh, the only one really getting some Oscar hype or award hype is Stallone, but yeah, a lot of people have made the case for Michael B. Jordan or Ryan Coogler. Do you think those would be like? Do you think they're as worthy as Stallone, or is Stallone just that good? Um, I would say Stallone is like definitely the most worthy. Um, and if if he is the only one that gets any nomination, then I think that's okay. Um, I would say probably next Ryan Coogler, just because it is, it's incredibly shot. Like it's one of the like coolest, he does a couple of things that are really interesting choices, like repeatedly throughout the movie. And it's one of the coolest, uh, like things I've seen in a fight movie or really in like any movie in a while. And then I would say Michael B. Jordan is really good, but just with the, uh, kind of, I think it's a matter of the other movies that are out this year that he's it's probably, a crowded field. Yeah, that he's probably not going to get nominated, but it is a great performance, and I don't think that really takes anything away from it. Is there anything else you wanted to wrap up on the movie with? Um, I would say just like I'm. I mean, I'm sure at this point most people know about Rocky movies having heart and stuff a lot better than I do since I've seen two of them. But I would say if there's anyone that's like I know me and my girlfriend went to go see it because we were at my parents' house and we thought it'd be a movie that like my parents would like also and it was I know I don't think it's a movie that like everyone is just naturally like oh that's going to be one of the best movies of the year let's go see it but I would say that if you can put aside like whatever like boxing or fight movie kind of bias you might have it is one of the best movies I've seen this year if not the best and it's definitely my favorite of the year so I would definitely go see it Awesome. And it has done really well, which is cool considering how well it's been received critically. It's made 103 million domestic so far. Yep. Which is pretty decent. But yeah, it's th- like more than three times the budget. Not bad. Yeah. But uh, thanks so much for coming on, Patrick, and talking about Creed. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, not a problem. And I will, I, I've been meaning to see it, and I will definitely be getting to that soon. Rap niggas throwing hits and fits. I get my bitches statues for a Christmas gift for my bitch. So bad she on my Christmas list. Remember, I pray really, I wish for this. To get the crew with the maid and with the pick and fits. I'm with some niggas that mad with took a risk for this. So talk a risk your business. Flick the wrist. Lord knows that I repent for this. But Lord knows if I can pin for this, I probably won't get home until I'm 56. They say I'm the Messiah, you rabbits is liars. I sign up at churches to rap it, the choir. They spit my new verse at your way while you're lying. The middle of the church up your way, no, I'm lying. And with us now is Landon DeFever, who joined us for the Stand By Me podcast. Landon, what was one of your favorite movies of 2015? Well, um, my well, I'll say I'll start by saying my favorite movie of 2015. Um, was um, undoubtedly uh, the end of the tour. It um, came back out earlier in the year, I believe January, in limited release. And um, directed by James Ponsolt, who directed um, films like The Spectacular Now, which I was not a huge fan of, but um, and starring Jason Segel and Jesse Eisenberg, both of who I admire very much. Um, but however, I, I'm not going to talk about that one in particular because we talked about it on the Stand By Me episode that you, that you mentioned. Um, but um, the one I, I will... Let me start by saying, like, that is my favorite. And then in addition to the one I'm going to talk about, these are 10 other films that I really like this year that I think everybody should check out. Um, I'm going to just list those in alphabetical order. Those films um, being uh, Cobain Montage of Heck, 
Creed, Ex Machina, Love and Mercy, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, Room, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Steve Jobs, and Straight Outta Compton. So um, just kind of as a little addition to that. But that's not what I'm talking about. The movie that I'm going to be talking about today is Inside Out. And um, just kind of, um, if I'm sure everyone knows what that film is, just kind of right off the top. But um, Inside Out is the, well, not latest from Pixar. It's um, Pixar, because Pixar had two movies coming out this year, um, Inside Out and uh, The Good Dinosaur, which came out back in November. Um, But this was the one that came out earlier in the year, I believe in June. And that is next. My favorite film of 2015. Um, now, just kind of going into why I really like this movie, um, Inside Out, I feel like, came in at a time when Pixar, as a studio, like in kind of like the public reception, wasn't doing extremely well. Like, Pixar has always been really loved by a lot of people for films like um, Toy Story, Finding Nemo, Monsters Incorporated, and stuff like that early on. And then it had a big string of hits um, that not only audiences and kids like, but also adults really liked as well. Films like Ratatouille, Up, and then the Toy Story sequels both were extremely well received. But now, but as soon after that, they had a lot of big misses, like films like, uh, oh gosh, like Cars 2 and, uh, what else, and Brave and Monsters University, films that weren't as well received. Like, people still like them all right for the most, not Cars 2, but uh, people still um, felt like they kind of, kind of got kind of were had because the films didn't do as well um, both critically or financially well I don't think the reason I'm bringing this up is that it's nice to see that Pixar's biggest critical and financial success since Toy Story 3 which is my personal um, favorite Pixar movie was this purely original beautiful funny and touching film um, that I did extremely well in all those in all those respects and and yeah, and and then and then the good dinosaur came along and fucked it all up. But you get the point. Like <laughs> it was still like this film that <laughs> it was still this film that really touched a lot of people and kind of brought the studio back out of its shell that it kind of receded into. But yeah, just um, kind of after that setup. Um, basically, what I really love about this movie is that you can boil it down to pretty much one reason: is that it takes advantage of every single opportunity it's given. Um, admittedly, this is um, this is an original. This isn't the most original idea that you could think of. I know that a lot of people have kind of tried to tool with this idea of people inside of little people inside of um, a person's mind, kind of controlling how they feel and what they do. Like the the sitcom Herman's Head kind of did this a little bit in the movie Osmosis Jones, which is kind of a mixed bag. Uh, did this a little bit, but yeah. So this is not the most original idea that one could think of like right off the top, but I will say that with this idea comes a lot of, um, it, like a lot of unique things that they take it. Like like I said, they take advantage of what's great about it is that the emotions are all extremely likable, understandable, um, great characters that are given distinct personalities and the colors and mindsets. I like all, I like all of that. And they're all voiced by like in this perfectly cast movie, with like Lewis Black as anger and Mindy Kaling as disgust and Amy Poehler as joy, like and Phyllis Smith from The Office as sadness is like the perfect encompassment. Like just her voice, like what she brings to that role, I think is just brilliant. And not only the five main characters, but the many little details of the human mind that are covered, like little things, like as they kind of go along this journey of abstract thought, daydreaming, what scares us, what we're interested in, imaginary friends. They're all kind of covered in this unique way that doesn't seem like it's being forced. It's kind of just kind of, they just come up kind of, it comes up pretty naturally, which is really nice. 
And not only this, but like once you leave the theater, I think not just for general audiences, but for kids in particular, I think it this movie makes them ponder about their own existence really well. It makes you think about your own anatomy, your emotions and ideas. And especially for a kid's movie to talk about, I think that's a very that's a very great thing for any movie to do. And like when you and like when you think about like the amount of bullshit in kids' movies today is films like The Road Chip, where people try to defend them and say, like, I just want my kid to go in and be entertained. Well, okay, well, why don't you also want them to get something out of their experience, like where they can also learn and grow as a human being and not just be spoon-fed these easy plots and dumb jokes and things like that. And that's what I think this movie does extremely well. And um, not only that, but kind of an addendum to that, uh, my mom actually told me that this film has also been used for children with learning disabilities and attention issues. And like when a kid is feeling like upset, he says like, I'm blue. Or if he's feeling angry, I'm red. And I think that's something I'm very pro for. And I'm glad that that movie is kind of being used for. In addition to that, just kind of going along with things that this movie does. Well, um, I won't spoil it in case you haven't seen it yet. Well, most people have seen it by this point, but um, there is a character that, uh, accompanies joy and sadness along for this um, along for this trip, and the character actually ends up dying near the end of the film. And what's interesting about this character is that when it dies, it stays dead. Like it doesn't come back in like at the very last second to say like, "Oh, I wasn't dead. Here's your happy ending." No, it stays dead, and it makes people ponder their own emotions like regarding something like that, which I think is a really big thing for kids to experience and again, not be spoon fed these easy ideas and emotions and things like that. And, um, the last thing I want to talk about that this film does extremely well is that it has the, I won't spoil it again, but it has the most emotionally effective moment in a film that I've seen all year. And it turns me into a fucking puddle every time I watch it. Like even like I saw this film twice in theaters and I've watched this little clip on YouTube, probably, Oh God, probably like seven times. Like since then, like just say, maybe it was just a fluke. Maybe it's something that only naturally comes up in the story and like you build to it and then it like, it just destroys you. No, like when I watch it on YouTube too, it has the same effect on me. Like it's just so well said and delivered. Like the music swells up and it, you just feel like that emotional train just hit you and it's so perfect. And it's something that no other film made me feel this year. So th- those are all the reasons why I think this movie is great. All right. That is wonderful. And I did not real. I knew it was extremely successful and I was really happy about that, but I didn't realize quite how successful it was because over it, um, internationally and domestically, it made over $800 million. Wow. And domestically <laughs> it's the, it was number four in all of 2015 for domestic box office, which is kind of incredible and also well earned because it's probably the best movie in the top 20, 15 of that list at least. Oh, for sure. And what's and what's more crazy this year is that it comes in a world, it comes at a time like in a year where Jurassic World and Star Wars both completely dominated the box office this year. Mm-hmm. And for this, I think this is probably one of the only original ideas to break that. Like everything else has been based off of something else like Jurassic Park or Star Wars or like uh, any of these other movies that come like like Avengers and things like that. They come along and are are just not not rehashes, but they're sequels or reimaginings or 
like, but it's, it's just really nice to see this film kind of come along and prove that you can still have like original ideas and still be very successful with them. And was more successful than Minions, which is all yes, that matters. <laughs> which is an extreme sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Landon, thanks so much for joining us and sharing Absolutely. with us your top movie of 2015. We'll see you again in 2016. And now we're joined by Ben Rentenhouse. He was our first guest on the podcast, joining us for the Rush episode. Ben, why don't you tell us about one of the most notable films of 2015 for you? All right. Well, for me, I picked a little indie movie called uh, Tangerine. This has been, I, don't, I mean, I'm sure you know this, people listening know this. This has been the year of gay shit happening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Carol tomorrow. Yes, Carol came out. We had this. We had a lot of LGBT movies come out. Um, gay marriage was finally legalized. Bruce Jenner is now Caitlyn Jenner. Josh Hutcherson has not come out yet, but we'll wait. We'll wait. It's only a matter of time. Usually, I don't know if I've discussed this with you, but usually my uh, my views on on gay movies or on gay representation in media at all really is don't because I kind of have PTSD from Glee. I don't know if you ever saw it. I have heard the stories. Yeah. So I felt I, – I've never really felt like anything that's ever been portrayed of, of gay life on screen has ever really resonated with me and my experience. So to that extent, usually, if you know, whatever big gay movie comes out for the year – last year it was – um, what was the one with two lesbians? Carol? No, no, no. Last year. Oh, last year. Uh, um, blue is the warmest color. Yes. Yeah, like that, uh, things like that. I t- I take I typically skip them just so I don't get offended. <laughs> um, but this one really, it really, it really came out and surprised me. Not because it gave a positive representation of LGBT life, but because it was one that was real. So the basic rundown is that these two transgendered prostitutes on Christmas Eve in um Los Angeles, I believe, not San Francisco. Yeah, I believe so. Los Angeles um, are basically <laughs> chasing down their pimp because uh, the main prostitute named Cindy just got out of jail and find that her boy, her uh, boyfriend who was also her pimp named Chester was uh, basically fucking around while she was in jail. They don't say what she went to jail for, but it was like, a, it was a short stint about 28 days. I think um, she's out and the entirety of this movie is the first half is tracking him down. And the second half is, calling his ass out and it's a depiction that really a lot of people don't know because i think a lot of times in films um gay people trans people lesbians are really like kind of deified and made to look holier than thou in a way or they're treated like a like a very special episode or something and it doesn't ring realistic and this movie you know despite whether it has something positive to say about lgbt life really 
it shows them as being human. And I think that's what makes it to me, the most important film of the year, perhaps not technically the best, but I think the one that deserves the most notice. Awesome. And obviously I, it does, it can't resonate with me the same way, but I did find it to be like refreshing is such an overused word, but it felt like that's how I described it actually. So yeah, like it's, but that's, that is what it is though, because it just feels different than like any other movie or so many of the movies that we deal with. And it feels like an actual slice of life that many of us don't experience. Like I, I personally have no experience with that world. And I'm uh, like, I'm very supportive of sure. all people or like, wow, that sounds like the most obnoxious, whatever. <laughs> um, but I, I, I could say all the right things, but I still don't know how people live i can't i can't experience how people live like that is just not a part of my experience and even if it is a movie this is a way for me to kind of you know get a get a feeling for other people's experiences and so it's important in a way that many of many of the other movies i love this year aren't if that makes sense yeah i would agree with that um like i said it is not perhaps technically the best in terms of acting or the way it's shot because it's shot on an iPhone five. I don't, I know people don't know this, but it's shot on it's shot on an iPhone five and immensely color corrected. You can tell it in post. It uses, it does not use professional actors. Um, the main two actors are actually, they are both actually transgendered and were both, uh, sex workers prior to this movie. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I think that actually lends to it, you know, they're not the best, but they're, it comes off as more genuine than say if they got two professional actors who gave a performance. Yeah. You know, because they can speak to that experience of having been both a, a part of very, two very marginalized communities, really. Mm -hmm. um, and this is actually, you know, I don't want to call it a problem because I don't know the way they live, but in Los Angeles, this is really a, it's a big thing. People who are, you know, especially transgender women are, you know, that's what they have to do to survive. They're poor because they get the transition and they don't they can't get a job in that state. So they're forced to go and, you know, become prostitutes or sex workers. That's the reality of what their lives are. And it doesn't it doesn't a, a movie like this would typically it would turn it would turn into something like Pretty Woman, you know, where yeah. it'd be a narrative around them getting out of their situation. And in this movie, it's not about that. You know, they they know what their life is. Richard Gere's not coming for them. They you know, they've accepted the reality of the situation. And really, the in, the movie follows really just eight hours in what's really is kind of a, you know, a pathetic life. But it doesn't it doesn't unnecessarily dramatize that. Mm -hmm. And it ends up ha having a kind of a beautiful ending, too. I wasn't sure where they were going to go with it. And it just kind of ends, really. There isn't nothing is necessarily fixed. It's just like the end of the day, they kind of deal with their problems as best they can and move sure. on. But it kind of, it ends on that note of friendship between these two, the, these two transgender women who, I mean, might not be great friends to each other all the time, but it's still kind of beautiful the way it ends with them coming together. Yeah. They're um, fully aware that really they're the only thing each other has. Yeah. Pretty much. And it also includes, 
it, it doesn't fully touch on like how that how their community interacts with the outside world, but by having the cab driver's family in there, it gets mm-hmm. a little bit of that in there, mm-hmm. and which really helps flesh out the experience and how. I mean, maybe maybe not terrifying in this instance, but how um I don't know, like dramatic can be. That's not right. But how like at, at every turn you're being confronted or you're being told that you or the people that you interact with are less than and things like that. Sure. But it's yeah, it's such a s- small movie, but I loved it so much when I saw it. And I really enjoy like there are just so many things to like about it. Like we've talked about the visual part and the subject matter and even I like some of the music cues and some of the the Okay. The music, I had to look up what this was cuz I, I the beginning of the movie starts with um the main prostitute her name is Cindy mm-hmm. learning that her pimp has cheated on her and immediately she gets up walks out of like the Dunkin Donuts that she's in and starts <laughs> on her quest to find his ass mm-hmm. and they start playing this this kind of music that like I don't know how to describe it other than like if if dubstep and metal had a baby <laughs> I think it's called I believe it's called trap music from what my research is yeah I don't. I don't know what that means. So I guess it's, I, I, it's not your typical uh, oeuvre of music that you that you're usually steeped in. No, that's correct. <laughs> but it works so well. You know, it it really. I don't know. I don't know if it's actually a, if it's a score or a soundtrack. But it's the music in this movie is very effective. Yeah, it's just really like it's just. Really, it's really, I I can just keep floundering at at uh, um, describing it. And that's why I'm glad we're having more of a discussion about this one than some of the other movies we're talking sure. about, just because it isn't as universally lauded as some of those other movies, but I feel it, that's kind and, of one of the reasons we need to talk about it. And more. probably won't be. No, probably won't it's, be. It's not the kind of movie that really gets awards. Although, you know, what do awards mean anyway, really in the context of anything? Yeah. But it, uh, like even the even the amount of praise it has gotten online makes me happy though. Um, it yes. has gotten a, it's gotten much bigger than like a movie of this subject matter or even of like its creation, shot on an iPhone and all that would typically get. It didn't mm-hmm. fade into the oblivion of iTunes recently released or anything like that. It got yeah, no, it got released on Netflix, which is probably the best thing that could have happened to it. Mm-hmm. I would I think, and that's I think that's really a good path for a lot of these indie movies because they don't. Someone described to me the current scene of movies as really kind of reflecting the culture of America right now with the 99% and the 1%, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas the 1% has so much money and can make these epic but ultimately kind of hollow blockbusters with a lot of special effects that are fun to look at, but you kind of forget them when you leave. Mm -hmm. And then the 99% is working with under a million dollar budgets and making these things that you will be thinking about for, you know weeks to come maybe years and this is one of those movies that really it benefits from not ha- from having restraint yeah not being tied to like a three-act narrative structure because really it allows it to be more affecting and more it, you engage with it more because it's it's more like watching reality because you know life doesn't life doesn't adhere to a three-act structure yeah you know and so really this is it's really just like you know, watching somebody's day. Mm-hmm. That's you right. It, it is a day in their lives, really. It's it's not even. It's more like half a day. Yeah. But that's yeah. that's that's really what this is. What the 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 indie format has allowed. 
yeah. a lot of films to do. And I think this is this is one that really takes advantage of that. It is. So that's why I'm glad you picked it, because I really I really wanted to highlight this movie. And I'm glad we've gotten a chance to do that. And we could talk like we could talk, keep talking about this movie forever. Unfortunately, we are uh, crunch. We do have a time crunch just because of the sheer weight of the podcast. We're putting this together in. Right. But Ben, thanks for coming on and discussing this this movie. We look forward to having you on again in uh, the rest of 2016, talking about probably some big dumb blockbuster. <laughs> that's oh, puncher. <laughs> And with us now is Phil Meyer. He joined us for the Spirited Away and Reefer Vendetta episodes. And today he's going to talk to us about one of his favorite movies about 2015. Phil, what is the movie that is closest to your heart this year? Oh, you said favorite movie of 2015. This is one of my favorite movies of all time that just happened to release this year. <laughs> I'm talking about Mad Max Fury Road. Now, I never watched the original Mad Max. I never watched Road Warrior or any... Thunderdome, I mean, I've never seen a Mad Max film, but when the trailer for this, the first trailer for this movie came on the television, I was glued. Um, I swear to God, that was my movie of 2014, just that trailer. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. It had everything I wanted, and it was maybe 45 seconds to a minute. Like, it was nothing, but it was everything, and I was just stunned on this movie and I could not wait for it to come out and it did not disappoint at all I can't even begin to describe my feelings watching this movie and I it blew me away and it made me appreciate film on a whole new level every shot was is gorgeous it's just everything's lined up just perfectly nothing is done without purpose it's it's amazing, and I I hadn't seen a film quite like this ever, I don't think. I can't remember the last movie that I watched that I felt this way about, about it, and it's just, it's one of the best movies I have ever seen in my life. It's a blast to watch, too. I had so much fun, and I'm, I'm usually a proponent of you can have fun during a movie, but that doesn't make it good. But this one is just the perfect blend of both good f quality filmmaking and just a roaring good time throughout. It's funny. It's fast-paced. The action is amazing. All the stunts are real. Like, every explosion is real. There was very little CGI, and at that, only to make sure that the stunt actors were safe during the movie. Like... It's everything I wanted in a movie, and it's all practical, and I love it. And just, God, I could go on and on. The characters are phenomenal. I mean, Furiosa is just far and beyond the most popular character this year. Charlize Theron blew it out of the park with her, and she is my goddess. I 
worship her because of this role and i don't think i have a favorite actress besides her like she far and beyond everything i want in an actor she's she can do anything and she brings it all in this movie as imperator furiosa and i love it it's it's outstanding and she just she drives the whole movie literally and figuratively but she just takes this movie and she runs with it her character drives everything and it's it's just incredible like i can't even put into words how awesome her just what she does her acting is phenomenal and everything is done as well like with so few words there's barely any dialogue in the film at all and most of it doesn't even happen up until past the halfway point i'd say and but you get this sense of urgency throughout you get this feeling like you're in the world like that is a real world that you're a part of because of all the performances of every actor and actress in this movie and there were people saying oh you can't make a mad max without mel gibson and tom hardy blew it away because mad max isn't mel gibson and mel gibson isn't mad max mad max is just a side character he can be whoever you could like have a dog probably play mad max <laughs> and you'd still get the same movie because it's the it's the other characters. He's the side character. He just has his name in the title. And it's it's beautiful watching that because most stories are, this is your main character. You follow him. He is your main character. And I say he specifically here because most people thought that you can't have a female-led movie like this. And you absolutely can, did, and have done. And here we have a Best Picture nominee i'm remembering correctly but it's just it's a beautiful movie and i urge everyone to go watch it because it's just phenomenal it gave me a whole new love for film that i never thought that i'd have and i just i can't even put into words how much i love this movie but one tip if you're going to buy the blu-ray Find the color options on your TV, turn them all the way down. You can watch this movie in black and white, and it still holds up beautifully. The, the, the colors make the movie when you watch it, but the absence of color puts it in a whole new perspective. It's, it's gorgeous. You can watch it like the original Mad Max, and it's, it's, just, it's such a worthwhile thing to do maybe second viewing, probably not first, but I, I heartily recommend it. And one really cool thing is we, like everybody loved this movie, but it's not just that it was an amazing movie, but also that it's successful. That makes it really cool. Like um, by box office Mojo's numbers, it looks like it's the third highest R rated movie domestically this year. And it's still just today, the day we're recording, it was nominated for uh it was one of the producers guilds of America the Producers Guild of America's top ten movies of the year. And even all these months later, even as a blockbuster, continues to build steam 
and get much of the credit it deserves, even though it was posed as a summer blockbuster, you know? Oh, yeah. Nobody nobody thought that this movie would, you know, reach anyone but the Mad Max cult following. But it absolutely decimated everyone's expectations. Like, it, it had that build, like... The only people who cared about the movie were the original Mad Max fans and, you know, film fans who saw the trailer. But Such a good trailer, too. Oh, such a good trailer. But then, like, the, the excitement from that cult following kind of spread into the mainstream to the point where everyone saw this movie. I, there were peop- there's people I work with who think who are like oh mad max that's a film for boys and then they went and saw it and loved it there were some that hated it but we won't (laughs) talk about them um they're missing out yeah oh they absolutely are it's such an incredible movie it really is and it is probably my favorite movie this year i think i'd have to say it's probably a tie between that and hateful eight right now but I, I I love it. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, that's for damn sure. And a victory for practical effects. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, Force Awakens followed up with many practical effects as well, but there's nothing like watching cars built out of other cars built out of other cars <laughs> blow up and know that, wow, they had one chance at making that work, and they absolutely did. Yeah, it's it, it's an incredible theater experience, and also mm-hmm. any any home viewing experience, like you were saying. Oh, absolutely! And the the special effects, or the sorry, the special features on the Blu-ray are just a joy to watch. Get to see all what they were setting up the whole time, and just George Miller watching him work in just the sh- few amount of shots that they had of him. It, it's just it's amazing. I love it. All right, that sounds good. Thanks so much for sharing that with us, Phil. Definitely one of my top two movies of the year, if not my very favorite movie. And we look forward to talking to you more in 2016.